We're talking should we cancel Oprah after Neverland and R. Kelly's breakdown, all that and more this week on Black Hollywood Live's The Trend. You're tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Hey. Hey, 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 hey. We don't have music at the top of the show anymore. I know, but at least now now the intro is a little hypey. We got a little hypey. What's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are at Black Hollywood Live's The Trend. I'm your host, Courtney Stewart, and we're missing Daryl Kristen today, but he's out in these L.A. streets doing something fabulous and wonderful for somebody else. But (laughs) we got a full house today and lots of things to talk about. Joining me on the panel this week is, of course, your friend, Jesse Janity. What's up? We have the lovely Tanisha Laverne Grant back in the building. Yes, hello everybody. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you so much for coming and joining us again. And we have some really special guests in the building today, you guys. They have an awesome film that we're going to discuss in detail, and it's probably going to teach you a little something that you didn't know about, because I had no idea. We had cowboys Mm. in South L.A., okay? (laughs) But we have two special guests in the building. We've got Brett Valentine, and we have Mr. Guam Featherstone in the building as well. Yes, hello. Thanks for having us. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what they were working on, what they worked on, and how you guys can find it and get this information about what was going on in the L.A. city that we all live in. And I had no idea. It was right around the corner. Okay. I know, right? Only in L.A. Only in L.A. All kind of stuff happens. But we're going to start off the top with some topics from Jesse. What you got this week? Well, you all know that we're one to always talk about, hey, did you catch this on Netflix? Are you watching that on Hulu? You know what I mean? Bird Box came out with some crazy... Crazy numbers for Netflix. Well, we all may like it, but Mr. Steven Spielberg has a lot of things to say. Hated it. Hated it. Basically, Steven's trying to put some pushback against this, you know, with the Oscar buzz and all these award shows coming out. He's saying he's trying to keep, you know, uh, theatrical movies and movies going to the theater versus you watching them at home and having this big box movie happen in a small little TV screen. He says, came out to say, once you commit to a television format, you're a TV movie. Now, to me, Stephen, it sounds like you're stuck in Jurassic Park land, and it's time to welcome you to 2019. And maybe that's why those Jurassic Parks in between the first one and the last one were mediocre. So oh. it's time to just kind of wake up. Ready Player One wasn't, didn't do as well as, you know, we would like for Steven Spielberg to typically do. Um, and he was kind of saying this in comparison to Netflix Mudbound. Which mm. did so well. Let's and see, people that's what we're really... not going to do. We're not going to talk about Mary J. Blige. We're not going to talk bad about Mudbound. That's that's not happening. You know, he's saying great, great movie, great movie, and it deserves an Emmy. Really? But, yes. Really? He said, but really? we're not bringing it over here to the Oscars. This is for big movies. This is for movies in theaters. So what do you guys kind of think? Do we, is Steven I know, we got Silver, filmmakers in the building as Steven well. Is so. stuck? Is he stuck or in does he have 90s? a point? Um, Can I, you welcome the web? Yeah, I, I actually, you know, Steven Spielberg is actually one of my, you know, the, one of the directors that I've looked up to the most in my development. And he started out in television. He started, uh, you know, kind of, um, uh, that's where he got his start. And uh, that's really where he started getting his style, his camera styles and his techniques. And so, I, for me, <clears throat> I think television has changed so much 
and mm-hmm. the content that's on TV and, and streaming companies like Netflix and Amazon, they've really upped the value and the quality. And these are, for me, they're, they're movies on television. You know, you look at something like Game of Thrones, and it's, it's like one of the biggest, mm-hmm. longest-running movies that you can watch right now on, on mm-hmm. TV. And so uh, I think that line is really starting to blur. I think the line between what is television and what is movie and what is theatrical, I think in the next 10, you know, 15, 20 years, that line is going to be really blurred at this point. Um, Because I I think companies like Amazon, uh, Netflix, I mean, Universal is going to start their own, uh, Warner Brothers, Disney – so uh, it's hard to say what television is going to look like in the next 20 years. And so what with the awards, I mean, the difference between an Emmy and an Oscar, I think as television blurs, I think those award lines blur, perhaps. The bottom line is online is the future and the future is now. The patina is wide open for everybody to have an opportunity. And while some people may have over the years thought they weren't about equal opportunity, well, we live in a day and age where we're really testing whether or not you believe that philosophy. Because Ooh. for Steven Spielberg to, you know, sit back, who has done movies, um, Alice Walker's The Color Purple, he started out with that and employed, you know, Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg and all this wonderful black talent. Well, black talent is beginning to emerge at um, at light speed because of the online platforms. You know, so it's just like either you're on board or you're not, Steven. So it's just like you have to come to the 21st century. Um, that's just where we are with it. That's just where we are with it. To just play devil's advocate, though, I do see what he was talking about where he's talking about the consistency of getting people off their couches, out of their homes, and into a movie theater. And changing of the guard. It's a changing of the guard. But there could be a difference there. I mean, but so I think because you can talk- do that, you, would you say that it makes it more Oscar worthy? Because you're getting people to get up out of their seat? I, I think perhaps, I, I'm, and I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way that I saw his, because I watched the interview where he talks about that. Um, and he might be talking about we're talking you know he might just be suggesting we're talking about apples and oranges here right. we're talking about just the mediums by which people are watching these things and should they be exclusive should they be different or should they just all kind of be the same maybe maybe that's where he's going with it would you guys be game for another category at the Oscars for streaming films? I think maybe for right now because it's new and to move it into it. But, I mean, you, honestly, there's some... Now, let me get... Don't get twisted, Netflix. Y'all are picking up a few too many movies because I'm like, <laughs> uh, we could have put this budget elsewhere. Because when you watch a movie like Bird Box that had me, you know, so drawn into it or Mudbound, like, these are... They're, you watch it and you're like... I might as well go into the movie theater, you know, to to watch it. I'm not. I felt like he's talking about like the, how he brought up Game of Thrones, and it's like that's that's a television series, but a movie is a movie. You know, I didn't watch Blackbird and say, "Wow, this is a great TV, a Hallmark movie." You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, cinematically, it was amazing. Like for yeah. what they did, and I just I'm like, brah. Yeah, I it's mean, I think d- if it's creative brilliance, it's creative brilliance, and it deserves to be nominated for an Oscar, point blank, period. Yeah. Whether you saw it in the movie exactly. theater or you saw it on your television screen. Like, I, I understand this idea of, like, getting people to go to the movies, but the reality is people that are, the people that are going to movies and seeing movies, most of those movies aren't nominated for Oscars anyway. 
Exactly. That point. That so point. I don't really buy into that. I don't know. I just feel like it's trying to it's trying to down a movement that's actually really good for our creative space. And these yes. extra opportunities are giving new voices and new creativity is blossoming. And they're doing some beautiful work. That doesn't mean everything needs to be nominated for the Oscars. But I do think there's space for both to be in the that same space. The floodgates are wide open. Yeah, but to that point, open. the floodgates are wide open. I mean, where does it stop then? What about YouTube? Why does it have to stop? Yeah, exactly. Why does it, why have, does to it have to stop? Yeah, because honestly, YouTube yeah, I, has, uh, I forget what the movie's called, and it was right when YouTube was starting to come out with the thing, but, um, and it was about the end of the world, and they were picking and choosing the kids or whatever, and I was like, for a YouTube? I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, come on, YouTube. I think it's just going to be harder. I subscribe harder. to it. Yeah, it's just going to be harder for the judges now. It's yeah. just like so more much more, con- more, more content. content. More content yeah. to go through. But, I'm glad I mean, I'm not on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> but if the Oscars are supposed to sort of be this, uh, like... Inclusive. In- well, but this recognition of some of the highest film art that we put out then we should be open to all of these spaces that are bringing that art to the table the Oscars can stay what it is and somebody can implement a new award show that will be inclusive to the online platforms that we is no more that. Like, yeah. We need no more awards. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do yes, not. we do. Because Spike Lee still did not get Best Picture <laughs> I mean, true. and Best Director. True. So yeah, we still could use another award show. Jeff Friday, where are you at ABFF Honors? Because yeah, we still need to make that happen. Well, one day, one day, one day. <laughs> well, you know? I don't know if you know about one day, but the other day, the other uh, day. <laughs> it was kind of. I mean, we've 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 really had a whole bunch of. It's like a, the month of February to March has been a box of Russell Stover candy with it. Yes. You love messiness. So, Michael Jackson, um, HBO released this documentary, a two-part series called After Neverland. Um, and on the final part two, Oprah did a sit-down uh, with victims um, of sexual abuse uh, and also the two victims from the documentary, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, and then also the director, Dan Reed. Funny note before we get started on this conversation, but I had to, I could not stop laughing because Oprah has been calling this documentary Leaving Neverland and with a big sign behind her that said After Neverland and every time she refers to it as Leaving Neverland, you see the director just cringe like... (laughs) (laughs) But who's going to check Oprah and be like, oh "Oh, girl, you're saying the wrong name. (laughs) So, but Oprah isn't in hot water for that. She's in hot water because a lot of people did not appreciate the fact that Oprah is coming out here. And she. it seemed like because she was doing the interview with the uh, alleged victims that she was kind of picking a side. Well, she did pick a well, side. you know. And say... And tw- we need to, Twitter dragged Oprah. We need to let Michael go. <laughs> they're, they're talking about canceling Oprah, and even though she don't got a show to really cancel, but you know, um, they're saying, "Wow, Gail's doing the R. R. Kelly, Kelly story, and look how good she did." And Oprah's over here coming across biased, and you know, I actually watched it, and I thought, other than well, that's so petty. I mean, never mind. I thought Oprah was <laughs> honest. I like that she reached back into her how many years of journalism and said, hey, I've met with over 200 and I've interviewed over 200 and something victims. And I think a lot of the points she hit, it was 30 minutes too long, but I think a lot of the points she hit 
in today's standard of what we've been reading in the news, I feel like she really... I feel like this was important to have. Now, I hate that it's about Michael Jackson because I am a Michael Jackson fan, you know, and it's whether do we believe Wade Robson? Do we believe James? I mean, to be honest with you, that James man, I mean, just his face alone sold me the story. Um, did everyone check the... Did you guys uh, get a chance to see the documentary? Yes. What were your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts on it... Um, what were your thoughts I, prior and then when you saw it? Okay, well, prior to it, uh, I grew up in the 70s. Like you said, you're a 70s baby. I'm a 70s baby. I was and, born in the 70s, yeah. so let's just speak. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> well, I was, well, 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 I was born in 1970, so so I, I like to claim all of those years. You know, so, and I was a big Michael Jackson fan, tried to do everything he did, dance like him, and so, uh, but I remember all the allegations that came out about the child abuse and child molestation. Now, I remember watching it as a child, and I was like, oh, that's terrible if he did that. And then I remember Oprah interviewing him as well, and he came on, and he vehemently denied everything that was said, and he could never do it. And, and I remember thinking to myself as a child, well, I still won't go to Neverland, you know, see, so because it already came out there. So once things are said, perceptions are mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. believe what they hear, whether it's true or not true. So now, coming up to date, seeing this, these, these same people come back as adults, and they're saying now, okay, well, we lied as children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, we were forced to do it or however they did, and then listening to them, it's a hard pill to swallow because it's like, why would a grown man put himself through all of this humiliation? And, you know, so you start thinking about that. And I really don't know what to believe because Michael isn't here and there was so much time has elapsed. But what I do see the problem is, is that he's dead, first of all. And he's not here to defend the words that are being said against him. And his legacy is out there. And then you have all kind of other people that have passed away and they have a shady past as well. And they're not there. No one is trying to destroy their legacy. So mm-hmm. it's like, OK, what is the. What is the point behind this? Is it, is it money motivated? Because justice can't be served. They should have did that while he was living. And they were living. And why didn't you come out with this same type of, you know, uh, energy that you have now while he was living to say, look, I'm an adult now. I want to say I lied. I did this. They had ample time to do that. So that's why I have mixed mixed emotions about it. I just think that right now um, the, the message is being put out to the world. And everyone is going to have their own perception. They're mm-hmm. going to, they're going to, so he's not here to defend himself. So, of course, like you say, I saw his face and I can, I can believe it because I saw his face. So, but you weren't there. You know, you didn't, you don't know what happened. You don't know why he waited 30 years to bring it out or, you know, so it's a lot of speculation and I just think it's a sad thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as a documentary filmmakers here, obviously you guys have a documentary. Um, what did you think about the idea that uh, the director, what's his name? I just forgot it. Uh, uh, Dan Reed. Dan Reed. He, a lot of discussion was about not sharing at least some of the other side of what had happened and that it was very one-sided. It was just those two guys' stories. Obviously not really supported by a whole lot of physical evidence and that kind of thing. So do you feel like he had any kind of uh, obligation or should have presented a little more of the other side? Or was he, he said he was just there to tell their stories and that's it. Yeah, he said basically that we've already known what the Jacksons are going to say. We've heard, seen movies and heard stories of it. So mm-hmm. this was... 
I mean, I, for me, that, that really does come down to uh, the decision of the filmmaker and what kind of movie that they are trying to make. Uh, I ran into this same sort of thing when I was doing Fire on the Hill, uh, where we were talking about the hill, we were talking about the hill stables, and we were talking about um, how much of an impact that it was making in the community down in South Central L.A., um, but the place was, it was ragged. It was a mess. It, it, it had grandfathered in um, uh, permitting, and it, it was so old that uh, the permitting didn't need to be upkept up through the years. And so there was a decision that I was po- posed with, which is, do we discuss that? Do we bring that up in the film, or do we not? Hmm. And ultimately... I, I wanted to include it in there because I did want to include the other side. because And we went out and we uh, interviewed um, animal services and, and, and all that. And we wanted to get the other side of the coin because ultimately that was fair. That that I felt, you know, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Now, uh, with this these two films, or one film that in two parts... Um, you know, I know the filmmakers, they, they wanted to have it be about the subjects and not about Michael Jackson, but... It's hard for it not to be about yeah, Michael Jackson. He, he's, like, at yeah. he's at the center of it. He's at the center of it. He's an icon, and, you know, from what I'm sorry... Go ahead. Um, no, it, 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 you're exactly right. That's what I was going to say. He's so, it, he's so intertwined in the story that it seems like there is kind of a void uh, that has been created where I, I would like to hear the other side um, I think the way that it was cut to and you saw a lot of the same footage over and over again mm-hmm. um, and under lines and there is um, a, uh, you know you can manipulate footage that way And but again you know I, I kind of default to what he was talking about is like this is ultimately a film about these um, subjects and you know as the as the artist, as the the filmmaker, he has every right to to have that opinion. Well, there you go. Brought right out of know. filmmaker. Michael Jackson is such a slippery slope. I mean, I I do know he he owned the Beatles catalog. He owned, I mean, so much of Sony's music. So we know. I mean, there is always a conspiracy theory part, but you know, I do believe in. And real journalism in terms of Oprah, I think Oprah was a journalist. I don't know if anybody has ever read a book called Tailspin, where Stephen Brill says, and I have the quote here, our journalist takes the obvious, if self-serving, position that their job is to provide accurate information about important subjects and that how the people use or misuse the information is not their responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really don't think... Um, you know, Oprah should be getting dragged. It's like we live in such a culture where the minute somebody that you love or admire or respect yeah. disagrees with your philosophy, you know, you want to have a cancel somebody hashtag. Cancel yourself. Cancel your <laughs> philosophies and some of the bullshit you get behind. Like, give me a break already. Next week, Oprah will do something fantastic, and it'll be Team Oprah again. Like, get your life well, together. Well, it's funny because it's so it's because of Michael Jackson, right? But if Oprah did this and there was no huge celebrity attached, and it was to talk about sexual abuse, she wouldn't be getting dragged for this, because I felt like she did a careful job. She did a careful job, but the timing of it is what I think is the real dragging, because Oprah has such roots in Chicago, and the R. Kelly thing was happening, and has been happening for so long, and it never happened with... A lot of the criticism has been that it never happened with black girls, 
and she is supposed to be this like strong black woman, black girl advocate. And so a lot of people came for her because they're like, wait, you'll go after Michael Jackson in this semi sensationalized sort of situation because this documentary is a little bit, you know, mm. we're not so sure how to take this documentary. But you did not put that same power behind the R. Kelly situation, and you've had years of knowledge of that to have done something. So I feel like the real dragging is not so much just that it was Michael Jackson, but also because, because this whole R. Kelly. R. Kelly thing is sort of underneath that. Well, maybe Gail uh, got the interview first, and Oprah's like, I ain't gonna hurt, I ain't gonna... Well, <laughs> well, well, Oprah could have got the interview years ago back in Chicago, well. but speaking of Gail, we're gonna jump on into that situation, and speaking of journalism, Gail was on CBS, Gail King on CBS This Morning got the coveted interview with R. Kelly First time he's spoken since all of this has gone down. It's our EUR web spotlight story of the week. Yes, yes. So um, I don't know if you guys got to see any of the interview or see the crazy clips online because Instagram had the whole interview online before it even aired. Mm -hmm. But um, he was very, very animated and very, very upset. He was throwing out lots of uh, quotes that people are remembering, like uh, he's fighting for his effing life and that they're trying to assassinate him and that it's all lies and he has never slept with a girl that is underage ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he was revealing a little too much about what he's probably doing at home. (laughs) He's like, nobody's changed up in my basement. Yeah, like, Nobody <laughs> we didn't bring that up. But uh, either way, he spoke. Gail was poised for the entire interview, and people are like, "Oh my God, she's such an amazing journalist. She's people kept her composure." I'm like, too. "But girl, people she's composed. She's supposed to be composed." They were just like, "This whole interview was sensationalism." It's like, what do you do? I mean, these are the topics. These are the people that you want to. Hear about these see, are people that get right. ratings so and people like, want to hear about. Did you want Gail to get up and fight him? Like. I, I, I have no <laughs> idea. But he was uh, right after the interview aired. He was arrested and he is back in jail child for support. not paying child support. One hundred sixty-one thousand dollars. Black woman is going to bail his ass out. They probably <laughs> will. Holds into questioning because of that. This whole thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure he will get bailed out again by somebody. But apparently, if it's over twenty thousand dollars of child support due. It is a felony. He owes $161,000. Ah. So that is not good for his life. Mm. Um, do you guys feel like that interview should have been done at all? I feel he should have stayed, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoever told him to go there, the they, he needs to yeah. slap him. I mean, worst, it was oh, like he... my goodness. That was the worst thing he could have ever did. Yeah. yeah the worst yeah. thing he could have ever did. And then to release the, like, then the girls did it. And then now you just hear, because Gail went on. And I'm excited. I am going to watch it. They're going to release the Tomorrow phone. morning, the girls, the interview with the, his two girlfriends will also air. The no, they're going to drop the whole... Yeah, yeah, 80 yeah. minutes with R. Kelly. But the fact that then Gail came on, she was like, he was there behind the girls, and he would cough so that they would know that he was there. Like, bro, you are not helping your story no. in any way. That's insane. Not at all. R. Kelly is sick. <coughs> 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 not to change, not to change. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring it's not funny, but R. Kelly it's is a sick funny. individual. He is sick, and we'll play it out with somebody yes. that is, he's ill. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. on top of him being a, you know, a pedophile, he's a classic narcissist. I mean, my God. I mean, it was like yes. watching a third grader not take responsibility yeah. for, mm-hmm. you know, taking somebody's lunch. It was just, it was so bad, and what he's done is just so, so vile, so dark, so dastardly. Mm-hmm. And for him to get up, you know, on national television like that and just really make a mockery of you know those young women that he abused is just so it's so sickening it's just yes. it was it was hard to watch mm-hmm. 
Well, it was hard to watch. Welcome to American Morning Show Television. And it was <laughs> honestly, and it's it crazy. was must see TV. It was like, and then to tie it into what Oprah was talking about and how, like, because you look at these two girls and how manipulated they are. Yeah. To st- and it's exactly like uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, James said, you know, I'm coming out here. I'm doing this interview about Michael, and he said, I still like have this feeling of like guilt, like, oh, I'm, I'm hurting Michael by doing this by telling his story like he was that manipulated and you look at these two girls and you're like they're in it right now like they're not going to really be able to heal for years from now from this like mm-hmm. cuz they are sold next level gaslighting yeah next level gaslighting mm-hmm. yeah. next level gaslighting man it's yes. just well Azriel and Joycelyn we praying for y'all because I don't have I have no idea what else can be done. done. Their parents yes. have been all over the documentary trying to get them free, and they're they're obviously where they think they want to be right now. So hopefully one day that will no longer be the case, and hopefully R. Kelly stays in jail. But we're gonna move on, and we're just gonna give some celebration because after a heavy show and a heavy month and a half of all kinds of, I mean, between Jesse and all, like, there's just been too much going on. So we're gonna celebrate a non-problematic and an amazing, wonderful young man by the name of Jaden Smith. Yes. For those of you that don't know, he has been using his own nonprofit organization to continue to bring love and water to the city of Flint, Michigan. And if y'all don't forgot, Flint has not had clean water for quite some time. They since before they declared a state of emergency there in 2016, and it was January 2016. So for over three years, at least on a federal level, we have clearly known these people do not have access to clean water, Insane. and they still do not. And we build in a wall. And, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's another conversation. But congratulations to Jaden and to his mom, Jada, who is also helping him out for the build. They installed a water filtration system at the First Trinity Missionary Baptist Church over the weekend. Um, people can come, bring their jugs, fill it up with filtered water um, every Sunday from 11 till I believe it's 1.30 at the church, and they will be paying for all of the uh, utility expenses and things that come along with that and hoping to install another filtration system in the near future. So thank you for keeping the light on Flint, because yeah. otherwise we probably would not be talking about mm-hmm. Flint at all still, and those people would just still be suffering. Go so Jaden. Shout out to Jaden. I right. know. He's doing wonderful things, and also doing wonderful things. Like I told y'all at the top of the show, we got two guests up in here that have stories to share that I myself knew absolutely nothing thing about. Like, I got this clip of Fire on the Hill documentary, and I was like, what is this? Cowboys, what's going on? And I thought it was going to be like Santa Clarita somewhere, whatever. <laughs> it's right, a yeah. South Central LA. There's men on horseback running. I was in shock. I love okay? like, black cowboys. I, I was like, yes, I am excited. So tell us about the documentary and how you guys decided you wanted to tell the story and share it with the world. So uh, the documentary is called Fire on the Hill. Um, it's about it's about a group of uh, black cowboys uh, in South Central LA. Um, it's really based around this stable, as I mentioned earlier, called the Hill. It's one of the last inner city stables uh, that was down in South LA. Um, I came across it in 2011. Basically, there's a story there, but basically, I, <laughs> I followed horse manure, and it led to the Hill stable. And um, I just was like everybody. The reactions that I've been, you know, getting that everybody has is like, 
what what is this doing in the middle of the inner city here? And so I just started asking questions and meeting people and uh, got introduced to Guan. He invited me out on a horse ride. This is back in 2011. Mm-hmm. So this is when the stable was up and we were filming. And during the course of the filming, there was a fire there and it was uh, set um, really mysteriously. And we talk about that in the film, but um, we really follow um, three subjects in the wake of this, uh, Guan being one of them, who is trying to kind of resurrect the hill and and bring it back because it was a place that was doing so much to get kids out of gangs. Mm -hmm. And it was really using a very unique uh, way to do it in a way that's actually tied into the history and the heritage of um, South L.A. and and the Black Cowboy there. And so... um, yeah, yes. so he's one of the, the main yes. subjects in it. Can you share a little bit of your story, how you found your way to the hill? And oh, okay. Well, uh, to you? Yeah, I found my way to the hill in 1999. Uh, after I came back from Europe, I was in the military, I was in the Army, and I needed a place to, to be. I, even though I'm from Los Angeles, Los Angeles had changed so much. Gang banging had just took off. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I'm a 70s baby, so I saw the whole transition mm-hmm. with people used to just go to different blocks and we'll fight each other and then pick up sticks and then chains and then next thing you know guns came out and uh, I was gone I was in the army and uh, when I came back it was just so segregated I didn't really know where to go and someone told me about this place called the hill and they said okay let me go try it out and they had uh, horses up there and it was like a, a community within a community mm-hmm. and all these people that that were there, they like adopted each other like family members, and, and so I saw that you had Mexicans, whites, blacks, Crips, Bloods, Serranos, all these different gang members in this area, and they were getting along, and it just tripped me out. Like, how, how, what is the, the the common denominator here? How is everyone in this little street getting along, but outside of here, people are killing each other because they live on the wrong block. And uh, I purchased a horse for my for my child. I bought, bought a pony first thing, and then I bought me a horse and another horse, and another horse. Next thing you know, my whole lifestyle was just uh, up there at that place. It became like an everyday uh, place. Everyone just was adopted family members, and we just got along until the fire came. And then once the fire came and we got closed down, everyone dispersed. So now you have cowboys all over the city. You know, now they're in Riverside and in uh, Hesperia. Some horses are in Compton. And um, so now we're trying to rebuild and get a central hub again because we noticed that a lot of the children that used to frequent the place, now they went back to the streets. Mm. Mm. They're in gangs. They're in jail. They're dead. And so it was like, man, this we got to do something. So when Brett came up with the idea to film and make awareness, get get some type of awareness out there to get the city involved and try to see if we could get this place built. It was a great idea. We just thought we were just going to do a little clip and, you know, uh, like a support clip. And mm-hmm. then and then uh, it turned into what it is. It's now it's fire on the hill. And it's a great story, not just because I'm in it. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a great story. It's even when I got the email about Black Cowboys, the first thing I thought about was a film I saw when I was 
a little girl directed by Gordon Parks called Thomasine and Bushrod. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a couple, um, but they were robbing things. But, you know, they were <laughs> black people on horses, you mm-hmm. know. And I, I just remember being so fascinated. And then fast forward to, like, 1992 or 1993, Melvin Van Peebles did Posse. You know, so I just I thought, like, wow, this is really great. And then when I queued and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a really fantastic narrative and such a wonderful way to get, like, black youth involved yes. in, mm-hmm. you it know, is. horses and just, you know, the way life used to be, sometimes just to get away mm-hmm. from, you know, the sharp edges of inner city living. So just awesome. And I just really hope it's you guys are able to get something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's growing. It really has a ground um, swell following now. And mm-hmm. it's we're getting bigger and bigger. Every uh, festival that we go to, we just went out at Big Sky. Uh, we won on war out there. We premiered uh, back in the L.A. Film Festival. Um, so we won uh, Best Documentary in the Muse category out there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really starting to get a lot of following. We're taking this out on the road. We're going to be in festivals um, go throughout the year uh, with it. And so, you know, we're, we're hoping to pick it up on dis- uh, for distribution. We're hoping to get it out there on... Netflix. Maybe we'll get an Academy Award. Maybe not. <laughs> I'll uh, vote. Not uh, or, or, or Amazon or, or one of the streamers or hopefully in theaters too. You know, this is something that I think it's a story that is important. It's not only just important for us in the, in this community. It's really a story that's important for I I think the the, the country world. and the world to see because mm-hmm. it is a, it's a, it's a lot about perceptions and what we perceive. Um, I grew up in Northern California, and I had, you know, j- just perceptions of South L.A. Um, I grew up, you know, when I was in 13 years old, that was when the L.A. riots happened, you know, mm-hmm. and I just knew South Central was a place that I didn't want to go and I never wanted to be in. When I went there and I found the hill, the, it, it, it's just these guys defied everything that I was told. And that, and they continued to do that. And so I, that changed my perception when I went down there. And not only that, but, but also the rodeo community. This film does a lot to talk about the, the rodeo community. We have Chris Bird, who's out there, who's a bull rider. Um, he's coming from a legacy of bull riders that are from South L.A. Mm-hmm. The first African-American to ever win the world in bull riding came from Watts, California. Nobody knows this. Nobody knows this. Came right out of the hill. Yeah. They're trained at the hill. Yeah. Charlie Sampson Mm -hmm. in 1982. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not only about perception in South L.A., but it's also about perception in other communities, like the rodeo communities. And Mm -hmm. so we took two places that, that... seemingly have nothing to do with each other and this film kind of mixes the two and mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the important takeaways I think that the film gives to audiences is it's about perceptions mm-hmm. and breaking down those perceptions and that's kind of a it's I think it's an important thing at this time day and age when yes. we have Most so many definitely. different you know metaphoric and physical walls going up yeah. <laughs> uh, physical walls and so you know yes I mean, and can I add one thing? Uh, sure. When we went out to Montana, it was amazing. We went to some schools out there, to some high schools, and then we had interviews with the kids, and the kids, they watched the film, and then after the film, we had like a Q&A session, right? Mm-hmm. And then Brett started it off, and he said, uh, just to break the ice, what is your perception about South L.A., the people in South L.A.? The room got quiet. And we were like, no, 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 go on, talk. It's okay, mm-hmm. say something. And then next thing you hear, gangs. Mm. Drugs, violence, robbery, 
perception. I mean, a- anything that they could say bad, it, it, it that was their perception of mm-hmm. South L.A. Mm-hmm. And then everyone on the panel started to talk, and the, the other cowboys were there, and they started talking and expressing themselves. And then uh, at the end of the expression, someone from the high school said, well, what was your, what is your expression, what is your impression of Montana before you came? What was it? And then I was like, well, I just really didn't want to be dragged behind somebody's truck or hanging from a tree. Hmm. And then the faces dropped. Like, wow. And they were like, well, what is your perception now? I'm like, well, I'm blown away because the people were so friendly. I can move there. You see what I'm saying? But before <laughs> yeah. I went there, I was like, man, we better not be walking down after the movie. The movie. We're yeah. going straight, get the Uber, going straight to the... <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get caught, caught up. World, yeah, but it yeah. was total opposite. We were hanging out. The people embraced us. We embraced them. And so the it's an important film. Mm-hmm. And, and it's doing things that we really didn't intend it to do, but it's doing it. Amazing. So how can people find out more information about the film, um, screenings that may be coming up or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, we have a Facebook page. You can go uh, visit us on Facebook. It's Fire on the uh, Fire on the Hill Film uh, on Facebook. Uh, we have Instagram, Fire on the Hill. Um, our website is fireonthehill.la. Um, that where we're going to be posting where we'll be in with festivals. Um, we have one coming up up in Northern California, up in Sonoma. Um, at the end of the month, um, it's a hometown festival for me. Cool. Um, but uh, more importantly, too, we a, a foundation has started from this, mm-hmm. okay. and uh, the Hill Foundation. Hill Foundation. And so, if you go to hill-foundation.org.org, okay. you can find yes. out about how to help and support and promote these support these programs that are now just starting um, as a result of this film. So it's kind of is the hill sort of getting back up and running and that's things what we're are in the process of yeah. process and of it's, okay. it's physically working. built it but the the organization of everything is happening right okay. now. So it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Things it's coming. are happening. Yeah. Things are happening. I don't want to ruin anything in case you know for people to see the film but yeah. you should of see course. the film and Things are happening. Yes. Okay. Yeah. One more time. Where is the foundation located? Heal-foundation.org. That's our website. Log on and check our programs out. Okay, definitely. All right, guys. Well, where are you guys going to be this week? Jesse? Well, y'all can hit me up everywhere at DJ Jesse J. <laughs> and if you love Ratchet Reality TV, make sure you guys check out VH1's Love & Hip Hop The T podcast on Apple Music. And Ms. Tanisha, where can they find you? You can find me on a blog that I have on blackinamerica.com. So make sure you click blackinamerica.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Tanisha Laverne Grant. All three names. If you can say Sarah Jessica Parker, you can say Tanisha, <laughs> Tanisha Laverne, Laverne Grant. Yeah. Your life. Your life. Right. <laughs> you guys, make sure you follow us at BHL Online over all social media. And make sure you follow me at Stuart Starlet. I'll be around doing something somewhere. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you guys go look up Fire on the Hill. It's amazing. I'm so excited about it and support the organization to get them back up and running because I mean if we can't do that like what we, we need to do our own Jaden up in LA you know, That's have right. a moment you know what I'm saying so check out the uh, foundation and you guys check us out again because we'll be back here next week bye thank you guys All right. thank you On behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. 
Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood Redefined.